we're now live. So thanks very much uh, for joining. Uh, Chris Daigles here, Chad Councilman uh, from the Auto Recyclers Experience. And we've got a really, really special guest today, guys um, and girls uh, from the US, uh, Jason Levine. Jason, welcome. Glad to be here. Excellent. So, uh, Jason, uh, you're going to tell us a little bit more about yourself, but today we're going to talk uh, about safety. We're going to talk about uh, the, uh, the, the safety and how it plays, how recyclers play a role with regard to how we deal with safe components or not, um, and how potentially we can use that to, a, to the industry's advantage, but also to make sure that the consumer is always uh, kept safe. Um, so, Jason... You're from the Center of Auto Safety. Um, you've done a lot of work in this area. We've seen a whole heap of YouTube uh, clips of, of you on, on you know, CNN and CNBC and all of that type of stuff. So tell us a little bit about yourself and your organization. Sure. Well, first, thanks so much for having, having me and, and having the Center for Auto Safety on. It's always, we're always happy to talk to audiences, uh, both home and abroad and anywhere we can about auto safety. So the, the Center for Auto Safety was founded actually 50 years ago this year uh, as a nonprofit organization, non-governmental organization focused on auto safety issues, uh, most specifically um, tech, where technology can, can meet, a, meet a need. Um, so our focus has always been on how do we make the vehicles themselves and the roads themselves safer for drivers, passengers, and pedestrians. And, um, you know, this has ranged over the course of years to, uh, from fighting for seatbelts, uh, for airbags, for electronic stability control, uh, and, and all sorts of, of large and small changes to how new cars are built, um, again, over, over half a century. So that there's a lot there. Uh, the other piece that we are very well known for is consumer protection. And so, for example, the lemon laws uh, that we have in the States that allow you, if you have a new car that is, um, that is not a very good quality car that you're regularly having to bring back in to get re you know, repaired, uh, we fought uh, over a number of years, about a decade, to make sure in every state uh, in the US there was a law that allows consumers to go ahead uh, and bring an action that specifically gets you you either a new car or value for that new car that uh, didn't work. And then sort of the third bucket that we are very well known for and, and we spent a lot of time working on is the recall space. And, you know, as much as we want to see new cars, because safety, building in safety by design is the best way to do it. Uh, but the reality is cars are a complicated product, uh, usually through, um, usually not through intentional misdeeds, but just by mistakes, but cars have defects in them. And, um, you know, sometimes it's manufacturers know and they can do it something better ahead of time, but often it's just something happens. You know, you're manufacturing thousands of parts and millions of cars. Uh, things are going to go wrong. That's where recalls come in and that's where we come in. You know, we have pushed over the years to make sure that recall repairs are free for consumers. We've pushed over the years to make sure it is, it is illegal to sell a new car that's under a recall or a rental car that's uh, been rent or you know, rent a rental car that's under a recall uh, here in the States. And, and we've, you know, we'll continue to push for more ways to ban these vehicles from being sold. And 
even more importantly, make sure until that happens that they get repaired. Uh, and whether that's working directly with consumers, working with manufacturers, working with the government to get better notification out, working with state governments at the administrative level. Every time you register your car, we'd like to see you get a notice that uh, there may be an open recall. Uh, all the way through the, you know, through the recycling industry and sort of, you know, as the, as the vehicles in the U.S. at least, the average life of a vehicle is 12 years just about. Um, you know, vehicles last for a long time. They have multiple owners. They may have multiple parts coming on and off them. Uh, how do we do our best to uh, educate everyone in that chain uh, of ownership and chain of, of, of uh, touching that car, touching those parts to be sure that non-defective parts are what is being used uh, while giving consumers choice uh, because yeah. choice allows for economics. So that's a little bit about the center. We're based in Washington, D.C., have been for the full half century that we've been in existence. Uh, we were founded by uh, Ralph Nader and Consumers Union in 1970 as a, um, as a recognition that there wasn't a full-time organization devoted to this specific issue. Um, and, you know, they gave, they, they founded us and gave us independence and we've been at it ever since. And uh, I'm an attorney by trade and I've been with the center now uh, since 2017. Excellent. Excellent. Well, welcome to, to the show. And I, I'm sure that we've got people on, on Facebook at the minute. Uh, we've got people on the Zoom call. Uh, interesting. We've got plenty of people on Facebook at the moment, which is great. Um, we've got an, a number of people uh, from the US listening in that I can see there. So very relevant from that perspective. But I think there's relevance across the board, uh, you know, whether it's the US and our main audience is US, UK and, and, uh, and Australia, of course, and New Zealand. Um, but there's relevance around the topic. Uh, doesn't matter where you are, safety is, sure. is uh, non-negotiable. Um, before we go any further, though, in the, the five minutes before we, we got on the call, you, you announced something, some breaking news that you just came up out with yesterday, or you identified yesterday. And I think those in the US especially would be very, very interested in, in the information you've got to share with us now. So uh, how good is this? I mean, CNN hasn't got this, and, and I know... <laughs> Chad's favorite Fox hasn't got it. So um, if you want to see it, breaking news here on the, the auto recyclers experience, tell us about that. Sure. So for a little context, for those who haven't been following, um, uh, in the, in the mid 2010s, following the Takata reveal and announcement and recalls and the deaths and the injuries, um, there was a real push to make sure as much as possible that we're getting bad, um, bad airbags out of the system, recalled airbags out of the system. And one of the, a variety of measures that were passed by Congress in 2015 was a provision that said manufacturers need to identify component parts, recalled component parts by number where that was possible and um, charge NHTSA, the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration with implementing that. Uh, which is how things commonly get done. Congress says, you know, here's the broad idea. NHTSA, go ahead and implement. Uh, and you'd think this was one of the easier things NHTSA had been told to implement. Uh, just make sure there's a way for manufacturers to get that parts number to you so that the world, particularly your audience, uh, would be aware of these numbers. And so to the extent that they could track them and trace them and pull them out of the, pull them out of the system, they could. Well, lo and behold, 
um, by the time I got to Center for Auto Safety in 2017, this still hadn't happened. We went ahead and, and, and wrote some letters and made some communications with NHTSA and you know, with some members of Congress. And uh, we talked to Chad and many other folks at ARA, which is you know, here in the States. Uh, and still this hadn't happened, this hadn't happened. And in a very classic NHTSA um, action, they very quietly, just as sort of the world was shutting down here in the U.S. due to COVID, uh, they flipped the switch. And so I believe it was March 23rd, without really telling anyone, um, they created a separate field uh, for manufacturers to submit that component part number uh, when there's a recall starting um, vehicles and recalls. Again, I want to say it's around March 23rd, 2020. Uh, so that data field is now there. It's available uh, for downloading. I mean, you got to sort of jump through some hoops, but this is the first time it's available. And, you know, it is, uh, it's, it's a huge step forward. Um, it should not have taken five years to get here. Uh, this is a relatively simple thing. It wasn't rewriting the standard for, you know, how uh, automatic emergency brakes work, literally just collecting a number and slapping it into a form. But there it is. It is there. And we're really glad because it, it goes to the more data that is out there, the more information that is available to people of, of um, good business sense and good conscience for that matter, uh, the, the more likely we are to find defective parts, defective cars, uh, get them repaired, get, get those parts out of the system. Uh, but you, you know, people, it's literally the proverbial needle in the haystack. Uh, in this circumstance, uh, when you're talking about something like an airbag inflator. So anything that can be done uh, to, to accentuate, accelerate that process is good. But just to be clear, it's not just Takata, it's any recall part. Uh, if to the extent there's a number, it would now be much easier to find. So we're very excited about that. And we, and, uh, we were doing some other work yesterday and, and we sort of stumbled across this uh, over the weekend. So we are, we're glad to share it and, and sort of couldn't be better time. Yep. This is amazing. This is amazing. You know, ARA worked hard and diligently to get that particular segment uh, in, in that bill that was passed in 2015 and President Obama signed it into law that, that required the manufacturers to give this, this OEM part numbers to us. And, and now to, to hear that we have it, that, that is amazing to hear. This is a lot of blood, sweat and tears went into making this happen uh, from multiple associations, organizations, and everybody involved. I mean, this has been a, a hard push for many years for ARA, and that's a, a big victory. Now, I do have a question for you. Is, is the data that you're receiving from NHTSA for the recall part numbers, is it only, does it only have part numbers for, for current recalls that have occurred since March 23rd to current day, and nothing for previous recalls? Is that, is that what you're saying? So, yes and no. So the, the new field is only from that March, I want to say it's 23rd, but it could be 22nd, could be 24th, but it's, <clears throat> pardon me, it's right around there. Um, for that new field, it's only data going forward, from that date forward. What has been confounding, as you're probably aware, is that many manufacturers, once the law was passed, started submitting that data to NHTSA, um, but there wasn't a separate field for it. You have to go sort of hunt and peck for it. Uh, in, in their general description. So those numbers are still sort of buried in the recall uh, notices. They're 573 notices, as they're called. Um, but there, wasn't, there is not a separate field for it. And to the best, I would say to the best of our knowledge, we don't think that NITS has any plans to go back and pull those numbers out and stick them in this field. But who knows? Because again, they didn't even tell anyone they were doing what they had been 
ordered to do, mandated to do five years ago. Um, so maybe they have such a plan, but I wouldn't want to suggest that they do without having anyone confirm it. Yep. Yep. This is, this is incredible news. Absolutely. A lot of, so, a lot of years worth of, of work to get to where we're at today. And so that's, well, I'm glad, glad to be sharing it. Glad to, you know, taken, played a small part in it. And, you know, it's rare we get to share good news. We're almost always the bad news people. So I'm, I'm glad to be able to share good news. Yep. Excellent. Awesome. Excellent. Well, that is good news. That is very good news. And I think, um, Others hopefully can take a lead from that um, and, and hopefully, you know, we can get to a better spot so that the auto recycling industry can play its role with regard to uh, safety and dealing with recall parts and so on. Obviously, uh, Chad and I are, are very well sort of versed in that area. We, we, we focus a lot on recalls because it's, it's a key area of the industry that we think uh, needs support. Um, uh, we've recently launched in the UK. Obviously, we've been in Australia for some time. Um, one of the things, though, that we're, we're looking at helping our members with is actually, well, not hiding behind the issue. Um, it's, you know, the, the standard thing that you do when, when there's risk associated with something, when potentially, you know, oh, do I want to say anything or not say anything? Will the manufacturers take the fact that there is risk associated with, you know, selling a, a, a reclaimed part. Um, if it's been recalled, will the manufacturers take that and use it against us? They've got a lot of money. They can do, you know, these, uh, you know, their marketing campaigns can be backed by millions, right? And if they, we can't compete with that. So what do we do? Do we not say anything about it and just let it go? And hopefully nothing ever happens, you know? small businesses, small organizations in the industry? Uh, or do we take a proactive front-footed approach to it and say, hold on, we are actually going to, we're going to own this issue and we're going to say, this is an issue, we need to do something about it and actually promote the businesses that do it well, promote the industry for doing it well, et cetera, et cetera. Um, I think there's a, there's a really big opportunity and what we're trying to do now is actually take what's been traditionally seen as a negative and uh, not necessarily that the auto recyclers try not to say anything about it or try and hide it. Uh, most of the time it's because they don't even know it's a real issue, right? I mean, I was, sure. I, I was in the auto recycling industry for a long time as, as a, uh, as a, you know, a yard owner, for example, and I never thought about recall. So it wasn't predominantly in my mind, you know, the recall parts. Um, but what if we could, and I, you know, I use the UK example now at the minute, VRA in the UK, the Vehicle Recyclers Association over there, a number of different insurers, eBay are taking a really proactive approach to it and, and saying, well, recalls are a problem. We're going to do something about them and let's go and promote the fact that we're doing something about them. So what, what's your view on that, uh, Jason? I know it's a tough one, um, but certainly be interested to understand your view on how we could do that better and promote this. this sure. Industry. sure. So, you know, as you can imagine, because our our view is going to be pro talking about recall. Um, but let me give a couple of reasons why I think it is of value uh, in a number of ways to to the folks you're talking about, to the recycler community. I mean, quite frankly, to everybody, but but in particular to the recycler community. I think there's a couple of different pieces that you touched on there. One is. Unlike you know manufacturers uh, of vehicles who, to your point, spend millions, if not tens of millions, of dollars uh, every year 
on establishing their brand, uh, which is why they are often so reluctant to conduct recalls because a recall impacts your brand specifically, right? When Ford conducts a recall, for the most part, it doesn't really impact Volkswagen. In fact, maybe it's helpful to Volkswagen uh, and vice versa. So that is a very different uh, distinction than, you know, generally speaking, not to in any way um, suggest that every recycling yard is, is the same, but generally speaking, I think the, the, the average consumer isn't going to distinguish um, one recycling, company, comp, recycling yard company from another. Um, and so when recalled, reclaimed products come uh, from, the recall products come from you know, a reclamation yard, um, that's bad for everybody. That's not just bad for that yard, which it's terrible for, um, both potentially from a financial perspective, but also obviously from a sort of moral perspective. Um, it's bad for everyone in, in the industry. And so I think there is a value in um, the entire industry saying, this is not something we want to be associated with because we will all be painted with the same brush. So I, I would say that in terms of why it's important. But I'd say that, you know, the, the, the other piece of why this is important is that, you know, recall parts going and recalled vehicles, recalls lead to far too often, to crashes, to injuries, to deaths. Uh, in, in the U.S. alone, a study a few years ago by the Department of Transportation found the societal cost, if you add up the crashes, the injuries, the deaths, the people not being able to work, the health care, uh, the, the emergency services to clean all that up, the societal costs can range at least at all $850 billion a year. And that was about six years ago. So our estimates, that's probably much closer to a trillion dollars right now, every year. Now, are all those because of recalls? No, of course not. Um, but recalls do lead to crashes and injuries and deaths. And anything we can do to prevent that, to remove that, not only saves lives and injuries uh, and mental anguish, but it saves time and it saves money. Uh, and for every, for the people driving the car, for the people riding the car and for the, you know, people, the other people on the road, other drivers, pedestrians, if you're in an urban environment. So there's, there's a financial incentive sort of big picture, but there's also that sort of individual financial incentive. Cause if, you know, recall part comes out of my yard, which, you know, has, hasn't happened too frequently, but, uh, but does happen, uh, obviously. And there's been some high profile circumstances that have led to injuries and deaths. Uh, that's bad for everybody in the industry, um, not just you know for me. Um, and even if it's coming from the yard next door, that's bad for me. Uh, so I, you know, I think there's a lot of sort of obviously human reasons, but there's also the financial reasons to be uh, as proactive as possible and saying we are doing everything we possibly can. And I think this example for the parts number is a perfect example of an industry saying, hey, we want to play our part, but we need help. Uh, you know, we need assistance from the manufacturers and from the government uh, to collect this information so that we can do the right thing. Uh, it, is, it is beyond the scope of, of reasonable um, to take information that is easily available, right? Sometimes there's fixes, but they are just so exorbitant that you can't do them. But when you have something as simple as, here's a number, let's just put it on a piece, you know, let's get it into a data file. Um, that's the sort of thing that 
should be easily available. And so I think looking for those sorts of solutions that are not turning your business upside down, that are not uh, you know, rewriting all of the rules economically or otherwise, those sorts of solutions and being transparent and proud of them uh, go a long way. Because remember, the manufacturer manufactured that defective part. I think that's an important distinction. Um, you know, they're coming to you and saying, hey, that's a defective part coming from a recycler or coming from a, you know, a secondhand shop. Or well, who made that part? Uh, you know, and, and so it's, you know, you guys aren't manufacturing parts. Uh, much like we always say about the dealers, you know, the dealers aren't, aren't making cars. You know, they're selling the cars that, you know, the, the manufacturers made. So I, I think it's important also to sort of explain to the consumer what's going on. Yep. I want to touch on that. It, it, you just made a point there that, that we as leaders in the industry have, have said for years, we as an industry are only as strong as our weakest link. And so if our weakest link is, is selling recalled parts and is, is, is not trying to uh, worry about safety at all, that is the perception that the industry will have from, the, from society. And, and so we've got to do our very best to educate the entire industry whether they're a member of an association or not, whether they're a one-man operation or a 200-man operation, we've got to educate everybody we possibly can that we are concerned with safety, we're concerned with recalls, we are concerned with being sure that the products that we deliver to our customers are recall-free and, and ready to be installed and used safely on their vehicles. And, and that's the, the whole intention of today's podcast is to try to, to air this message to non-members to to smaller operations to just get the word out there to globally we're talking we're talking australia and uk we're talking anywhere in the us we, we want to get this word out and instead of as i've as i've traveled the world and i've seen more and more operations it, it's amazing how tunnel vision so many recyclers are and and like chris said earlier they have no idea that the Honda Accord that they're dismantling has a recalled component on it. And, and, and so we are trying to educate that, that tunnel visioned recycler to kind of understand you've got to, to look at the bigger picture and look at what's really going on with this particular vehicle and be sure the components you're selling are recall free. I think that's, that, that is a, 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 a mission worthy of undertaking um, because it, it's, it is important. I think it, it's, it's bad for the industry when you have that sort of circumstance. And I, you know, I'd equate it to something else within the auto, uh, the, the auto industry, which is the, um, the unscrupulous stereotypical used car dealer uh, who gives a really bad name to the people who are trying to do it right. You know, the people who would never sell you a recalled car or, or do a crappy job of, pardon my language, financing uh, or anything like that. But, you know, there's that guy, in, you know, in the, in the checked suit uh, from the sort of the stereotype from the 70s um, that gives everyone in the industry a bad name. Um, and that, you know, reverberates in a way that is very, you know, it's a, what is a lie travels all the way around the world before the truth gets its pants off, right? Absolutely. So it is, it is something that is, that takes hard work, but the value is there and that it, it will hopefully not undercut your business and may even um, accelerate or promote the business. It really is a, a more of a long-term game, right? It's, it's not something that's going to change tomorrow. And to Chad's point, you know, a lot of people in the auto recycling industry, whether they're a one or two man show or a 200 or 300 man show, we're all busy. 
we're all busy trying to make a dollar, trying to stay open today. Think about what's happening at the moment. I mean, the world's in, you know, in, in chaos at the minute with this COVID situation and everyone's doing what they need to do to pay the bills, to make sure that they're there tomorrow. So yeah, we understand recalls doesn't necessarily sit at the top of everyone's list of what I need to do tomorrow because it ain't going to be paying the bills right away. Sure. But certainly everyone has a, a, a really important role to play. If I can just go quickly to Facebook, uh, we've got a, a rather outspoken uh, young man there by the name of Michael Swift, ex-ARA uh, president uh, from a couple of years ago, um, made a couple of comments, questions, 507, uh, 573 reports, not searchable, question mark. Mike just hooked on to the call after you announced what you announced. So um, he's also commented there, auto recyclers need build sheet data. Uh, we can help with recalls as long as we can get some build sheet and recall data. We don't want to sell recall parts, agreed. So uh, does the announcement, does your, the, the, what you just said, sorry, checking bins one by one, parts one by one, just isn't going to cut it for the industry. Um, so, the news so about we, yeah we certainly agree with with just about everything said there so it it is um again we're just sort of wrapping our heads around what they made public but it looks to us as if the what is called the flat file from nitsa where you would download i believe it's 28 fields of data from the 573 report which is what manufacturers submit when they submit for a recall it includes a field i believe it's 26 it might be 27 um, that includes that component part number. Um, so it, they haven't set up like a separate, um, searchable public facing one by one, but that's not what you're looking for. You're looking for sort of the entire, uh, universe of everything, uh, of all, of all the parts numbers, uh, which should now be available. Again, keep in mind, it's going to be a small universe so far because they just started doing this. But if you go in for anything that's recalled since March 23rd, I believe, 2020, into the flat, you got to go to the flat file. Um, so it's not, again, not consumer friendly at this point. But you know, from a business to business perspective, it's, it's not all that complicated to download it. Uh, and then you'd have it and you could regularly, up, you know, you could regularly update what you have. Um, and you can sort through it. And then on the back end, obviously... And you guys would know better than I would, you need to feed it into your own system in terms of looking for hits. Yeah, so this, this gives the opportunity for somebody like uh, NSVRP to have the, the OEM part number, and then that data will flow, to, throw, flow through yard management systems. They do a conversion table to convert the, uh, the OEM part number to a uh, Hollander interchange number is the, the uh, numbers that we use as an industry. And so that would be converted to a Hollander interchange number. And then that in turn would be feeding directly into our yard management systems to, to tell the recycler exactly which components have been recalled on that particular vehicle. And so huge, huge deal. Mike, this, if you're just now tuning in, Mike, this is a big victory for us. This is what we've been pushing for for years to finally get this data flowing the way we need it to flow. And so uh, great, great news to hear. Excellent. Um, okay, moving on a little bit. Um, Again, one of the things um, I'm just interesting, Mike Swift's mentioning blockchain and whether this could be part of blockchain and so forth. And Mike certainly is a huge potential application for blockchain you know, um, technology with, with this type of stuff. There's no doubt about it. 
requires a little bit more development, but certainly uh, uh, heading in, in that direction, I think it's certainly uh, an opportunity there. Okay, um, one, of the, one of the really, really, if we can focus on some, some more positive news, if you like. Sure. Um, I think one of the things that we're seeing now is a title change with regard to not only recalls, but perception of the industry, um, the industry taking a really proactive approach to um, quality, if I can call it that, quality, safety, and all that type of stuff. And, and I've been a, a strong advocate, and some people will say, oh, here he goes again about certification, but certainly um, in the UK, we're seeing significant um, benefits being delivered um, to the industry as, as far as embracing um, a certification program, a quality program that will help the industry uh, lift the perception to, to another level. You know, you spoke before, Jason, about tier one and tier two supply chains, right? So we've got, you know, OE manufactured product. Um, we know what that is. It's, it's manufactured by the original equipment manufacturer. Um, you've got tier one suppliers and they're, they're authorized suppliers of uh, from each of those manufacturing companies, a federal mogul, for example, or whoever it may be that produces product for manufacturers. Um, I often talk about the automotive recycling industry as a tier two supply chain. That doesn't make it any better or worse. It just says, well, we're at that next level uh, tier down because we deal with the product once it's been manufactured and we actually perform a really, really important role um, with the, the way it's dealt with post-registration, if you like. So once the vehicle's been totally lost. So in the UK, we've got this unbelievable scenario at the minute. And I know Pat Pat Hughes is on the, on the call from PAMS in the US that was the only certified um, recycler, NSF certified recycler in the US and a super automotive recycling facility there. Um, but Pat would be interested to know that in the UK, um, applications closed, well, not closed, but applications during the month of June to buy recyclers to become certified hit over 150 applications, 150 automotive recycling facilities within three weeks registered to become certified to the VRAC, the VRA certification program, um, just in the month of June. Okay, and we're talking the US in what Chad three years had one recycler uh, certified. I know Chad's business was on well on its way to becoming certified, uh, but that's it. Um, now, what does this mean? It's been comparing, you're comparing two different things a little bit there, though, because we have uh, the US has the ARA certification program that has the gold seal uh, certification program. And there are several, you know double digit recyclers that are members of that and participate in that in the gold seal program and stuff. Sure. Sure. And I, I, I'm not suggesting that, you know, there's a role for each of them to play. Right. So, um, but one of the things that we're seeing now as part of that eBay UK is all over it. So they're building a new um, B2B portal um, and they've actually driven a lot of the certification standard. And, and <laughs> in fact, they've supported it both with, uh, with words and uh, certainly with with money, um, and supported the recyclers there with you know four hundred thousand pound worth of contribution to recyclers that want to become certified. Uh, we've got insurance companies embracing it. 
looking at it saying we'd love to use more recycled parts, more reclaimed parts, but we need to make sure that the supply chain is certified to a particular level. So in that context, obviously, safety is a key component. Now, that's safety externally and safety internally. Externally means consumer-facing. Internally means HR-facing, right? Our own people, um, work health and safety, uh, you know, regulations and work health and safety plans and all that type of stuff that they need to meet. So I'm interested from a, from a center of auto safety perspective, what do you see that looking like potentially in the U S and in other, in other countries, how can we engage with an organization like yours to actually promote safety and these types of um, what would you call them? These types of uh, programs. Well, you know, I mean, it's a, it's a really interesting question, Chris. I, I think the, at least, you know, from, from our perspective as an organization, we have not historically, um, for better or for worse, spent a lot of time um, getting into who's doing, who's doing things right. I think, you know, we've been, we've been keeping really busy with who's doing things wrong um, and, and helping consumers find ways to, to right those wrongs. And, um, but I, I do think in the age in which we exist, and, and this is true all over the world in terms of easy access to information, um, the ability to shop around, whether that's uh, on a business to business level or on a consumer to business level, uh, the value of um, demonstrating your commitment to consumer safety, to consumer quality, not just putting it in an, in an advertisement, not just you know, making it a slogan, but sort of building it into your practice has the potential for um, making it market differentiation. Uh, you know, there's, there's certainly plenty of, of uh, recyclers. There's plenty of, you know, again, uh, secondhand dealers of, of, of parts or vehicles. Um, you know, the same is true of, of, of independent mechanics and, and, and licensed dealerships. There's a lot of competition. Um, you know, at least here in the States, we've got what, 270, 280 million registered vehicles uh, in the United States, um, that's basically more than one per licensed driver. So there's plenty of cars to go around, but there's also, again, what I said earlier, there's 12 years on average for each vehicle um, are on the road. That means you know, almost half of them are older than 12 years. So there's a lot of market share for marketing yourselves as being um, safe and, and taking those steps um, to to demonstrate that safety. And so looking for whether it be something like the ARA seal or other opportunities that you can point to uh, a third party validator that and certifier who can, who can demonstrate that you are doing something different. You are holding yourself to a higher standard and you're not just saying it, here's someone who can validate it. I, you know, there's a tremendous amount of value to it. And, Again, you know, very few organizations other than, let's say, the Volvos and Subarus of the world can afford to sort of buy their way to brand recognition as the safe vehicle. Um, you know, the, the, everyone else has to sort of do it, um, you know, the old-fashioned way, which is slow and steady and, and really make a commitment to it. Uh, and then, you know, the proof will be in the pudding. Yeah. Uh, you know, interesting point you make there about... Um the Center for Auto Safety and 
yet the focus is on exposing the, the, the issues, right? Exposing the, the negatives, if you like. And um, do you see, and, and I don't want to put you on the spot here, but do you see an opportunity where potentially um, you, the organization could support those on the website, for example, or actually speak for the organizations that are doing the right thing? And so, for example, um, we've got a scenario here, let's say um, a, a great story in the US where a group of recyclers or an, an industry of recyclers or one recycler, whatever that may be, is doing all the right things. How do we incentivize businesses to do the right thing, right? Um, other than the big stick, which says, if you do the wrong thing, I'm going to, I'm going to give you a smack type thing, right? Sure. Whereas if you do the right thing, I'm going to put you up in, you know, in neon lights here to show that you're doing the right. Thing. Is there an opportunity there? do you think? Um, you know, at least for our organization, it would be something we'd have to think about. I would say slightly bigger picture, if you go to, you know, the sort of uh, metaphorical 10,000 feet, I think looking for to whom are you marketing, right? Or, or is, the, is the organization, is the company, is the, the service that's being touted, certified, validated, marketing directly to consumers, well, then you're going to want to sort of be in a different than one chain of, um, of validation. If you're more likely to be marketing business to business, um, then you're sort of a different line of who, who would be, who would validate me in a way that the people purchasing my product, my service are going to be interested. and going to, you know, make, you know, think that's important. Um, and so, you know, you guys know your business is far better than I do. Uh, you know, I, th I think that's always the question in these circumstances. I think one of the reasons that we have long focused uh, on transparency as a touchstone is because that is how consumers can access information um, more easily. And whether we're talking about sort of an, an individual make, model, and year of a vehicle, uh, or obviously the VIN, uh, but all the way up to sort of to brands or to um, practices or, you know, one of the campaigns we're currently undertaking, although it's, you know, we've backburned it a little bit because of COVID is uh, looking at rideshare vehicles. Uh, right now, there's no restriction on rideshare vehicles riding around and picking up customers uh, with an open unrepaired recall on the vehicle. Um, and so that's something that we're working. We're trying to work with Uber and Lyft and, and any of the other rideshare companies uh, and taxis sort of at a local level. Uh, but we're also going right to consumers because they, you know, they have the ability to, to, to make changes by demands. Um, I'm not sure. And again, you're in a better position than I would to know that the average consumer when asking for that replacement part at their independent mechanic uh, or even at a dealership that you know is willing to not use OEM parts, um, is in a position to select which recycler, you know, where where those parts are coming from. But certainly, um, an opportunity to um, let that dealership circle know, that um, independent mechanic know, that body shop know, um, you know, that community that um, someone else has taken a look is, is gonna provide value because they're also looking for ways to differentiate and they're looking for ways to tell their customers, hey, we only source parts from 
organizations that fit this criteria and you can know that that's good because um, this other organization has said so that you're familiar with. So it's, I think it's a little bit of a circle. Um, you know, we're always willing to talk about things, but I think certainly any opportunity you can find to differentiate based on things you're actually doing and should take credit for. You know, I mean, I think one of the things that we're always frustrated about um, is when uh, companies or individuals um, do something for which they should be taking credit and that, that helps safety along and, and, you know, they don't talk about it. And then this, this thing with NHTSA recently is a perfect example of, you know, we think they should be putting out press releases, hey, you know, this information's available. Um, maybe because they, maybe they're embarrassed that it took them five years, you something it should have taken five months. Um, or maybe it's because they did it during COVID or maybe they don't want anyone to know they're doing something productive. I, it's hard to know, but that's an example where you should be, they should be crowing about it. They should really be uh, making sure everyone knows something good happened. So, you know, when you have those opportunities, certainly take them. Yeah, no, I agree. Chris, Chris you, you asked the question about what uh, motivates business owners to go down this path of certification and being alert and aware of recalls. And, and the, the, the answer is, uh, is money. And so, I mean, a business owner is looking to see uh, what can benefit him or her the, the most uh, with the least cost. And so it's a return on investment equation that you're looking at what is my return going to be and what is my investment going to be? And then you're doing some simple math and should I put $50,000 into something that's going to have a, a net result of, of zero or, or end up a no, no gross sales return. And, and, and so the business owners are looking at, at those metrics when making a decision. Now we talked about 150 recyclers signing up to be certified in the UK, but what has motivated them in the UK is the fact that eBay is launching a business-to-business -business protocol to allow recyclers to sell directly to mechanic shops and to collision centers through their electronic platform. They're looking at a huge upside for potential sales, and, and it's going to take them a, a, a little bit of time, energy, and effort to, to uh, be, become certified. eBay is actually funding that certification cost, and so, yes, they're still going to have a cost of, I don't know, it cost me about $50,000 to bring my operation up to full standards of NSF, uh, but, but that cost can be regained through the potential returns that you're going to see by increasing your sales. And so that's where the decision for business owners comes into place. And, and it's, so we've got to have that, that financial motivation uh, to make the, the, uh, uh, the recyclers do what needs to be done. Or the opposite would be uh, if, um, if the recycler sees a potential downside and they need to avoid a downside by, by doing some type of certification. And so that's, the, that's what motivates business owners to make those type of decisions. Yeah, certainly I see, I see the whole thing and having been involved with the recalls uh, for some time now, Chad and, and Jason, I certainly see it being a bit of a two-pronged thing where there's, there's, we've got both in this situation, right? We've got an opportunity to differentiate, as Jason said, differentiate your business, show someone that I, there's two products on eBay. They're like products. They're both whatever you want to call them, Holden Commodore here in Australia or GM whatever you call it over in the, in the U S um, two engines. They're exactly the same engine. They've done the same amount of kilometers. One of them has some kind of notification or some badging on it saying that this part has been checked for recalls and it's free of recalls. And if you buy this product from us, you will be guaranteed that if it is recalled in the future, you will be notified. 
this product doesn't have any of that. Which one would the consumer buy? My view is if they're like products or very similar, they're probably going to buy the one that gives them some sort of guarantee, right? Um, for obvious reasons. So certainly there's a, a great opportunity to, to differentiate, right? Whether that's from a recall perspective or whether it's from a certification perspective or, or any other perspective, how do you differentiate your business from someone else's? On the flip side, Chad, there's the fear of loss, right? What if I don't do it and something goes wrong? What if I don't do it and my competitor does it and they've, they, you know, they start streaking ahead. So there's, there's that as well. Uh, but what I find and Chad has, has, you know, we've been to see a number of different recyclers before we were sort of locked down. And certainly one of the things we saw there was that everyone is busy. Everyone's busy doing their thing today to pay the bills today, to put food on the table today, to pay the school fees today. Right. So everyone's busy and, and rightly so. You know, at the end of the day, they need to do what they need to do to, to sort of stay in business and, and keep on paying those bills, right? So that's rule number one. Um, but I think we need to keep on working at it. We need to keep on, you know, engaging with the, the likes of Jason and, and other organisations. We need to keep on putting pressure on the ACCCs in Australia or the NHTSAs in, in, the, um, in the US or DVLA, for example, in in the uk and, and whoever else it may be um, and keep on showing the positive opportunities that could come out of doing things the right way you know one of the things uh, you know you spoke about before jason is the cost of not doing things safely i think you said probably a trillion dollars these days um, so unsafe practices cost us a lot of money it's just that we don't see it's sort of hidden um, so I think there's a great opportunity there for us all to take individual responsibility at a local level, at our own business, and then collective responsibility as an industry. And that's why I think the ARAs play a really important role. You know, Mike Swift's just text again uh, on, um, on Facebook, Jason spoke once at ARA, thanks for doing this. Good news is hard to come by these days. And, and that's... Agreed. that's what it is. You know, when did you speak at ARA, Jason? Three, four, five. Uh, Chad would have to remind me. It's, it's been a few years. I want to say 2017, 2018, something yeah. like that. Um, so three, three years or so. Um, yeah. And you're delivering some good news today. Uh, yeah, no, we're, we, we try. But I, Chris, I, I would remark real, real quick on, on something you said that really resonates, which is... Um, you know, it's not just the folks on the business end uh, of, of things who, who are busy trying to pay the bills. It is, um, it's everyone uh, who, is, uh, who is busy. And, you know, we often remark, um, you know, one of, one of the reasons recalls go unrepaired um, are people don't receive notice. But one of the reasons is people are really busy um, and you need to, um, you know, and, you know, whether they be uh, in the recycling business, in the in the in the in the auto safety business, or they're teachers, or firefighters, or or you know ditch digger, you know whatever they may be, IT people are busy. Uh, they're busy with their families. They're busy with their work, and and you know making sure that collectively, as industries, as governments, as non-governmental organizations, we can take advantage of tools that make things as easy as possible because we all in modern lives live very busy lives um, and have very little time. And sort of when you make things easier, 
for uh, people to take advantage of to increase their safety and the safety of everyone around them, they are you know, much, much more likely to go ahead and do that. Uh, and when you make things more difficult, you got to jump through multiple hoops. Um, you got to click through this and this and fill out this other thing and then wait for something in the mail. Um, there's always going to be some people who do it because it's important to them because they feel that it is their responsibility. Um, but for most of us, uh, it is difficult to sort of then prioritize that. And so, you know, an example that goes a little bit beyond here, but not that far is, you know, we've pushed for electronic notification of email of recalls. Uh, via email. Um, so in the US, you're required to send mail. Some manufacturers on occasion choose to use electronic means, text, email, social media, but they're not required to do so. They don't do so for all, for everything. They don't have a uniform way of doing it. Uh, and when more people check their email than check their, their postal mail, uh, it seems crazy in 2020 that you know we're not using electronic means and it's yet another example of congress mandated and it hasn't done but it's just another example of how can we find ways to make things easier whether that be for the person for the salvage uh the person running the salvage yard who's, who's who's taking the part out uh or that consumer who's receiving notice or you know all the way up through anyone in the chain how can we make things easier for safety because it cannot be any one individual it has to be collective. Uh, and that's both, both the carrot and the stick. Agreed, agreed. The, the minute you make it easy, the minute people will use, use it and, and abide by it. So um, if I may just sort of take a step back here and yep. we don't have our, our, our program in, in the US, but certainly, um, you know, I think one of the opportunities for the US market is to integrate into the yard management systems, for example. Um, so that you know when a when a vehicle is checked into inventory that the recall check is done within the system at that time rather than coming out and using a separate system so our system in australia the order recall system um does both uh we've integrated with the pinnacle yard management system in australia um hoping to do something in the uk for the users over there as well but basically you know you check a vehicle and it, it'll pop up on your pinnacle screen that it's been recalled um, now, one of the challenges the automotive recycler has is a new recall is announced today on a 2014 model vehicle. Okay, they may have they may have done 50 of these vehicles in that time. What is that recycler supposed to do? Go through and check every one of those VINs that he or she has done against the recall notice that's just come out and decode the range of VINs that has been provided by the manufacturer to work out whether their 50 VINs fit into, I mean, that's, that's half a day's job just in itself, if you right. can identify it. So that, that's a real challenge. So again, making it easy, um, what we've done is we've, we've set the system up in such a way that once Jason Levine's auto parts checks uh, for a recall on VIN number XYZ, that you know, if there is a recall in five years time or in 10 years time, the system will send Jason an auto alert and say that VIN XYZ has now a recall on it that's just been activated. And it's the whatever, the driver's side front lower controller, for example, um, which enables the, the user to just do what they've got to do, right? Um, 
and you know get on with doing their business as opposed to having to check for recalls and that being a job in and of itself so i think that's really important and you know something like that in the us guys uh, i think that would be for the for the us listeners have a think about whether that's something that can work in the us and talk to your providers there and see what they can do for you so again making it as easy as possible is really really important um, Mike Swift is obviously very vocal, sending more, more through, which is great, Mike. Thanks for that. Um, with all the vehicles that sit in recycling facilities, we can really help NHTSA and all the OEM prove that recalls are getting taken care of. The OEM does it with the dealers, etc. We have a lot of data that we are doing this to help. Like I said, very good news, of course, want to now i will send the da, da, da. yep so yeah i think uh, mike's reiterating uh, the positive news and, and potentially the opportunity that the recyclers have to support manufacturers in completion rates as well one of the things sure. that manufacturers get measured on is recall completion rates as you probably know better than us uh, jason we've had a number of manufacturers here for uh, i won't name them but uh, that don't and aren't involved in the takata recall but uh basically talk to us and say, can you provide us with information on, you know, how many of these VINs do you have in your database um, so that they can see whether those uh, recalls have been taken care of. And then we, we contact the recyclers and say, okay, this VIN was affected. Have you sold the part? Do you still have it in stock? Has it been crushed? So that way it helps them with those completion rates. So anyway, sure. lots of opportunities there. So um, Chad, from a, a recycler perspective, where do you see this going? Sorry to put you on the spot, but where do you see this going? This news about um, um, NHTSA and the part numbering. What's your message to the US recyclers at this point in time? To the recyclers, it's going to be to pressure your yard management system to connect, uh, to deliver this data into your system. Um, I know that the uh, uh, API connectivity with the NSVRP site was provided to all the yard management systems about a year ago, maybe a little, maybe 18 months ago. Um, now that the OEM part number is going to be part of the fields that can be downloaded, uh, a simple conversion table can be created to convert that OEM part number to a Hollander interchange number so that uh, that record can then be linked directly to an inventory record. So if, if I were a yard owner in the U.S., I would be pushing to, to make that work. I'd be pushing Hollander, pushing Pinnacle, pushing Checkmate, uh, pushing BidBuddy, pushing URG to help develop the tools to actually tie everything together where we can connect that and convert that to the language that we speak as an industry and, and make that happen. Um, this, is, this is a huge announcement. I mean, this is absolutely, this is, this is game changing. It's gonna take six months to actually follow through and, and, and allow the systems to be developed and integrated and make it all work. Hopefully NHTSA will re repopulate that particular field uh, with the historical uh, records of all the recalls that will all be in one place and easily flow through. But it's, this is game changing for the industry. Absolutely. Yeah. Certainly the databases um, need to improve as well. One of the things that we see through our interaction with manufacturers and governments, et cetera, um, you know, a completed recall, um, well, that part's been, been fixed, right? So that we, you don't need to worry about it. But often we have, uh, unfortunately, we have situations where 
they don't update their websites. So as an automotive recycler, you may get an alert, for example, that says the, um, the control arm is recalled uh, when it's already been fixed. But again, the, the view that we take on that, and you know, the UK is a good example of this, um, is that we'd prefer to err on the side of caution for the sake of a, a not really expensive component that you could sell or you might not sell. It's not in your top 20 part sellers, right? It's like, doesn't make up, you know, probably the total combination of sales on that particular part type, it probably makes up 0.5 of a percentage point of your total sales. So it's not going to make or break you. We'd rather say, look, there's a record of a recall on that particular VIN and that particular part type. Um, let's remove it from inventory. So there, there's some of the challenges the industry faces, but I think once you think about them, they're, they're inconsequential. And there's certainly things that we can deal with fairly easily. Um, on the flip side, some other challenges, you know, we've got some good folk on, on the call today from New Zealand. Um, New Zealand's, you know, got a very high usage of, of reclaimed parts in, the, in their uh, repairs. Um, but they, have a, they also have a very high um, mix of what they call JDM cars, Japanese domestic models. So uh, personally imported vehicles out of, uh, out of Japan or other parts of the world that haven't come through the manufacturer or the dealer model. And as a result, uh, tracking recalls is really, really, really challenging for, for the New Zealand market. But we're certainly very, um, really interested in talking to those in New Zealand about how we can help there. So, yep. Sorry, someone's okay. just about to print something on the printer, which is right next to me. Hopefully, you can't that's hear it. Okay. <laughs> that's okay. So, it's working from home, right? We've got to do it. Right. Well, that's, that's what happens. Um, okay. So, we, we're at. Uh, right on the hour mark. Um, okay. I think it's been a really, really, really informative session, uh, Jason. We we do thank you for your time. I know it's a little bit late there and you're probably getting really hungry. <laughs> a nice steak or something like that for dinner. Um, but, uh, you know, on behalf of all the listeners, on behalf of the recycling industry, uh, firstly, thank you for attending. Thank you for the really, really great news that you've delivered, especially for the US market today. Um, and hopefully we, we can do this again. Um, any closing comments from your perspective, any closing messages that you'd like to give the industry? Um, you know, I just, I just think, first of all, thank you for having me on and, and, um, and thanks for doing it so early your time. Um, and the, you know, the opportunity for practicing safety um, pays dividends over the long run. And, and sometimes those are gonna be small, uh, and hard to see. Sometimes they're going to be big and recognizable. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, we all really um, are dependent upon each other, um, particularly in the auto space, to, um, to do everything we can to, to make it safe to travel. And, um, you know, anything that sort of fits in that perspective, everyone should be thankful for who takes the opportunity to do it. And so you know, we appreciate what you're doing out there. Um, you know, that the fact that you tuned into this suggests that um, safety is important to you. And so, so thank you. And, and keep in mind, you know, there are really heartbreaking stories out there of people completely unaware uh, that they're driving in a vehicle with recall parts um, that, you know, wind up 
killing or, or maiming them um, for the rest of their lives. And so anything we can do to prevent that, um, particularly if it doesn't take very much effort, um, but even if it takes a little bit of effort, uh, you know, we, we'd ask that you do it um, because you never know who that's going to happen to and, or if you're going to be driving next to them on the road, uh, even if it's not in your car. So, you know, thank you for what you're doing. Keep doing it and, and um, you know, be safe out there. Excellent. Thank you, Jason. Chad, any closing comments from you? Just to the recyclers that are watching, it's time to take the blinders off to realize that you may be handling some uh, recalled parts and to do your part to uh, prevent those recalled parts from reentering the, the marketplace. If, if I could just close um, by reiterating both of those you know, messages from both of you, but also that um, my view is that let's not hide behind the problem. As a recycling industry, we have a wonderful opportunity to talk about all the good things that the recycling industry does. Uh, we, I think the recycling industry performs a, a critical environmental service, a critical commercial service to make um, the repair of vehicles uh, more cost effective. So everyone should be proud of the work that they do and really deal with the issue. You know, let's own the challenge of recalls. Let's own the challenge of safety more generally. Um, and I think if, if we can accept that as um, the reality, don't feel that, you know, it's, oh, we shouldn't be talking about this because the OEMs might get it and, you know, do a big marketing campaign against us or anything like that. Let's take it, let's own it, let's do something about it and let's find a way forward and promote the fact that we're doing it. So on that note, again, Jason, thank you very, very much. Everyone that's on Facebook, everyone that's on, on the Zoom call, um, thank you for the UK listeners. We'll be uh, rebroadcasting this tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. London time uh, because it's midnight there now, so we're, we're going to struggle getting those guys on, but really, really important for there. Um, again, uh, yeah, as I said, thank you, and uh, we'll, uh, we'll see you on the next, next call. So, Jason, thank you again. Thank Cheers. you. Take care. Bye-bye.